It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. What is up? It is Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown. And as always, I am here every Tuesday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, to tickle your fancy on the NBA. When I'm not doing this, I'm over on YouTube producing some awesome videos uh, breaking down the NBA with voiceover and freeze frames explaining what's happening from a coaching standpoint because that is my background as a coach. And if you ever want to know what teams are doing or what players and how they're attacking and whether or not, like today, who has the best Euro step, that was my video I just dropped and it's already doing amazingly well. you got to check out our YouTube channel and the videos there. To tease the show... We've got Mo Dockiel coming on, and he is a special friend of the breakdown. In fact, he's probably more of a best friend of the breakdown. And he was uh, a video coordinator for the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Australian national team. And we have an awesome discussion coming up about playoff seedings and what it's also like to prepare video for the postseason for an NBA team. And it's an interesting dichotomy to what Jeff Diepenbrock explained to us last week when uh, he was talking about being a video coordinator for a NCAA team and preparing for the NCAA tournament. So an interesting insight that you don't get to see behind the scenes, behind the curtain of what it's like as a video coordinator. Then we have another friend of the breakdown coming on, Jay Michael, who is now the newly minted Pacers beat writer for IndyStarsports.com. And uh, he's going to give us some very special insight into the Pacers' surprising season. And it's for sure they slipped a little bit at the end of the year, and their seeding is now locked in at fifth. But there's no question that I don't think anybody would have said they would have won that many games uh, to begin the season. And I don't know if anyone would have predicted that Victor Oladipo would do so well. But it's been really impressive and a great story for them. Very varied offense. And you want to, don't miss that because Jay Michael gave you, gives you the kind of insight that I give you frame by frame on those video. He has the same eye and same information and to start off we're going to have ronnie nunn coming up in a couple minutes ronnie is was an nba referee for 19 years and head of officials for five more and is just my go-to guy for anything about the referees and we're going to discuss why the players and referees seem to be heading toward a huge fight and they've just been getting it's been ramping up and over the last couple seasons and guys have been getting ejected it's been a really kind of a troubling story so He's going to give us some insights into solutions and how to do that. So no flipping. Stay with me after these announcements from our sponsors. This is the B-Ball Breakdown, and I'm Coach Nick. I've got a fun fact for you. Actually, it's not so fun. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Have you started putting sunscreen on the top of your head? Does it take one rub of the towel to dry your hair after a shower? You've got to act now if you want to maintain those silky smooth locks. And the way to do it is with 4hims.com, your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. They connect you with real doctors and medical solutions to treat your hair loss. It's really easy, and you don't have to have that awkward scene in a doctor's office where they have you bend over and cough. That's the wrong ailment, but you get the picture. There are so many weird solutions guys turn to when they just need to go to forhims.com. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Answer a few questions, and their doctors will review and get you what you need to stop that hair loss. Get a month of hymns for just five bucks when you go to my special URL, forhims.com slash coach Nick. You'll save hundreds of dollars compared to a doctor or pharmacy. 
So click on 4hems.com slash Coach Nick and keep that hair where it belongs, out of your ears and nose, and back on the top of your head. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. Welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown. I have a really great show coming up tonight. Really excited to have on some amazing guests to talk all about the NBA. As always, we are here every Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, you can always follow me at B-Ball Breakdown and find all my videos, which I do analysis of the NBA on the YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Coach Nick again. And I'm going to bring on a, the, the best friend of the breakdown, Ronnie Nunn. And Ronnie uh, was a NBA referee for 19 years, head of officials for five more, director of player development, or sorry, director of referee development for three years, and basically is my go-to guy when I need any kind of information about refereeing, is particularly in the NBA. And so let's bring him on. Ronnie, thank you so much for coming on the radio show tonight. Hey, great to be with you, Coach Nick. Always a pleasure. Fantastic. Well, listen, there's a lot of argument, a lot of back and forth, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, agita going on about the players' relationship with the NBA referees. And I have to say, I think I would agree. Does it feel the same to you that there has been a sort of a building up of, mount, of frustration that's been spilling out onto the court? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's become newsworthy. Uh, there have been issues of conflict. Uh, there's been um, management issues between the officials managing the players and the players maybe not wanting to be managed as such. Uh, then they go through some of these uh, basic standards that look good on paper, but they're not really infiltrating, I guess, the minds of the players. And the players obviously feel undermined. And that's where the conflict is. They feel undermined and the officials are having problems trying to get through that undermining feeling so back in the day when you're talking about like the 80s 70s 80s and you know maybe even the 90s when it got really rough i didn't feel like there was this this many issues maybe even be before that in the 60s do you have any kind of thoughts as to why it was different back then with the refereeing core they had then i think the difference in the refereeing core from then even through this, uh, the 80s and 90s and early 2000 when I was working, is that there are a lot more veteran officials on the floor that became familiar to the players. In other words, if a new player came in, was ushered in, a veteran would sort of usher that person in, still manage the game, and uh, you know, sort of educate those players not to uh, go overstep their bounds with more junior people. Today, we have a lot more junior people and we don't have a whole lot more senior-oriented officials, meaning the leadership is, is a young group as well. They're solid. They have, they have uh, you know, the, obviously the skill set. They're learning through leadership roles, while the others are just learning through how to make it through the NBA and be effective. So it's kind of like where are, the, where are the faces that people can see and believe in more and that are more familiar to them, whether it has to do with the coaches looking at them or, or the new uh, sort of the new Turks that are leading the NBA today. So that that's where the conflict is, the, the veteranship versus the newness and how much veteranship do we really have that's very familiar and plausible to coaches and well, players. Well, you know, way back in the day, the referees were actually – like almost part of a, they were they were on the marquee. Like you would have Mendy Rudolph and the New York Knicks. You know, like they were actually sort of part of the show. 
And it, so it sounds like what you're describing is a notion of, and there's only two-man crews. There wasn't three men. So in theory, like at any given time, at least one of those referees in the NBA back in the 60s and 70s and 80s was a, a hardened veteran official. I guess part of it, didn't it feel like then that the, that the players simply knew not to mess with them or not to argue so vehemently? Um, was that built into the culture back then that we've lost? Or is it a, just a simple thing that, you know, these, are, these guys are so fresh and new that no matter what they do, no matter how they behave, these, these players are going to try and, you know, or they're going to, they're I don't want to say take advantage, but they're going to end up being in a lot more of, a, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an adversarial role. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think part of it is the culture. But, uh, that, you know, it goes decade after decade. The culture is always there when you recognize leadership officials. The concern is, is that in order to manage a game, the skill set of the officials must be high. And I think our skill set amongst more junior folk is less, less uh, high and less at the level they need to be so they can garner that kind of respect. It doesn't mean that players today are more... Uh, proactive or louder or more a voice more i mean it's a social order of things as well i get that but the bottom line is when you officiate and you know what you're doing listen uh the javis the the crawfords uh the Salvatos, the mowers the ronnie nuns the uh you know we learned from a great group like garrison at rush uh you know jake o'donnell earl strom I and mean, we had great mentors in there uh a great leader in garrison and now today uh, we have good leadership, but the problem is how do you transfer that kind of leadership on the floor where the practicum of the test is there? So th- that's where the issues kind of – I don't think we've turned the corner as a, as a staff as I look at the games from time to time. Well, I suppose the next question can be is what are they going to do about it? The, you know, One of the things they're pointing out is that the ejections seem to be rising over the past two years, and it's also like sort of big names of the kind of people that I think back in the day was a big no-no. Like, you know, people are paying money to see these players, and you don't really want to eject them, per se. That said, the, you know, some of the behavior is ejectable, so it's not like you can say these are, you know, uh, the, uh, frivolous technical fouls and ejections, but uh, what, what, do we, what can we do here to try and fix this? I know that the NBA and Monty McCutcheoners, they're trying to have a little kumbaya moment here, but what, what can they do to fix that? I, th- I think it's good that they have this kumbaya moment, and, uh, and I think it's all good. But remember, the game is about balls and strikes. You either can throw strikes or you're walking people around the bases. So uh, the emphasis really has to go with the work of the officials. The second part of managing beside the effective call accuracy is then beginning to know how to manage people in general. And I think there should be more interaction on both sides as to how that's done. In other words, you almost have to set up a curriculum to say, this is what you should say to a player about this, or this is what a player should say when he's in a disagreeable moment with an official. I mean, there should be some guidelines for civil interaction. And I think civil interaction is important. But if you're not throwing strikes and you're trying to civilly get through something, it's just not going to work. And I, and I always go back to knowing the, knowing the work, knowing the craft, being better at it as, a, as an individual, a crew, and a staff. And by the way, that's when the management of people become reduced and easier to cope with. 
I, I agree. And, and it's interesting because it's kind of like when you're coaching a team, winning hides a lot of issues, right? When you're winning a lot yeah. of games, well, it's kind of the same way. Like, you know, you get more calls right than you kind of hide or you don't have to hide, but like you kind of, you know, there's less of those issues and less of that, uh, that confrontation. I do suppose that there is some, maybe some bedside manner that could be developed better, perhaps, uh, uh, on, on the referee's front to diffuse situations, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, all referees launch from certain places in life where they've been before. I think you take the best of those quality places you were and you kind of infuse them in the work. I mean, I was in special education. I was working with young people that had emotional moments. Uh, you know, you can't send everybody down to the dean because I worked in the school where virtually my 10 students were all dean students that had trouble in the classroom. So you have to learn how to work with people. That was an advantage for me. It lessened my... Uh, situations of, of uh, issuing texts. It gave me a chance to work with people and they gave me a chance to believe, to have them believe in me. The, the players are not believing in officials. Now, there might be some uh, particular people that are not in that group, but as a base, they're not believing. And when, you, when they don't believe in somebody, they end up not respecting them. They see more wrong or the, or the, or the old adage about the glass half empty. That's where the, the culture is right now. And it can be moved if we, I think, first and foremost, uh, train our people at a higher level and, uh, and get them to. There's some things in the mechanics that I think need to be altered so plays can be seen and not missed. Absolutely. Well, fantastic stuff. And don't forget, sports fans, if you uh, are tuned into my B-Ball Breakdown YouTube channel, you'll see me and Ronnie go through a lot of calls throughout the year and really have a special insight. So if you want to follow Ronnie on Twitter, you got to make sure you do that at None Better Refs. That's two N's, N-U-N-N, and then Better Refs. He'll answer you if you have a question about any kind of refereeing. So, Ronnie, thanks again for coming on the show. Really great way to break this stuff down. And uh, let's hope that they, uh, they can fix this thing. Yeah, that is my hope. There is talented people on the staff, no question. But we've got to move the uh, the bar to a higher level of performance. That's the trick that McCutcheon and others have to figure out. How do we do it? It was done for us. Uh, I did it for the McCutcheons and the Fosters and others that are the Davises that are moving forward today. Uh, but there's some pieces and gaps there that need to be uh, closed down. For sure. Well, stay tuned. No flipping. Don't go anywhere, sports fans. I'll be right back after these messages. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. What is up? It is Coach Nick. We are back here on SB Nation Radio. Uh, another great segment coming up, and I'm really happy to bring on a friend of the breakdown and a recurring guest who's come on my podcast before, but first time to have him on the radio show. We're really excited to bring him on, and that is Jay Michael, who you might have seen covering the Wizards in the past, but he is now the official beat reporter for the Pacers on IndyStarsports.com. And uh, Jay, thanks for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. You know I enjoy these segments with you. Hey, you got it. Well, you know, you've had your eye on the Pacers for a little bit right now, and certainly uh, I think the general NBA uh, fan might be a little bit murky about what's been going on in Indianapolis this year. I think it's got to be one of the biggest surprises of the, of the year that they're going to win 48 or 49 games. So what, what's their recipe? What do they do to get this far? They're very unspectacular. I, I think what they do so well is, you know, they're really, they're really disciplined. Um, their spacing is usually very good. 
and it's kind of odd that they're not one of these, you know, heavily heavy three point shooting teams, which you see some of the better teams in NBA shoot threes like there's nobody's business. And the Pacers aren't like that. They're a little bit more judicious in how they get those shots. Um, they try not to switch much on defense. They try to keep their bigs on bigs and smalls on smalls. Uh, and what they do is when they get teams, as you see a lot of teams that switch one to four, one to five, when they get that mismatch, they like to flatten out and exploit that mismatch, whether it's Oladipo against a big at the top like a Joel Embiid, spread it out and allow him to go to work. Or if it's, you know, a big guy like, you know, say a Thaddeus Young or a Boyan Bogdanovich being posting up a guy like a TJ McConnell sort of player, they'll clear out and go straight to that matchup and say, you know what, we're going to take this too. And they're very patient with that. But the way they also manufacture offense is they push even off makes. And they try to get quick offense right away. And I think that's kind of how they make up for some of that lack of three-point shooting. They get a lot of transition baskets, a lot of baskets of secondary transition by just pushing the pace, even when it seems like there's nothing there. So they're taking advantage of not only Oladipo's speed, but Darren Collison, because that's what he does well. Well, sports fans, if you haven't figured it out, Jay Michael is the kind of guy who goes deep into it uh, a lot more than most. So this would be a fun discussion here. Now, uh, the Nate McMillan is sort of an old school coach, and perhaps that's sort of the influence we're seeing where they're not shooting a ton of threes uh, and they're looking for sort of those ISO matchups and not switching on defense because clearly the switching thing is all the new rage among defenses in the NBA. So um, that that's probably what surprised me the most about why this was successful. So, I mean, I guess, is this a blueprint for teams in the NBA going forward if they don't have, like, volume three-point shooters where they could kind of make it work in a little bit of an old-school style? I mean, I think it could be, but, I mean, i got to wait to see what happens in the postseason because we're yet to see when you have a coach who's able to prepare for just one team, how they exploit that. I think one thing that a team can do, for instance, is take a guy like Thad Young his handle isn't the best. His passing isn't always on point. He's really left-hand dominant. If you make him turn the right way, and, and, and you know, I was watching some, some stuff with Dario Saric going against um, Young in that situation in ISO, allowing him to turn in from the right side to his left hand, which is ridiculous. Make him turn to his right hand. He tends to get caught up like Blake Griffin in that unbalanced, twisty, turvy kind of and throws the ball away, it takes a wild shot. So I think intelligent teams, when they have time to prepare, will say, okay, we'll give you that, but we're going to make sure we turn you this way and those sorts of things. So I think it could be a recipe for teams that don't have the necessary pieces to play that pace and uh, space style and shoot the threes that way. But I still have to be sure to see them in the postseason to see how they handle those adjustments. Because as you know, what works in a regular season, sometimes coaches are really good at taking away in the postseason. And all of a sudden those easy baskets don't come anymore and you have to be able to score in the half court. And, you know, those, maybe those, maybe those numbers, those two point shots ends up working against them. So I think there could be something there, but one thing I think you definitely have to have in order to make this work is you got to have some really disciplined players. And that's the one thing McMillan has drilled into these guys. They're very disciplined. They don't go off script very often. I, that that certainly is apparent when you watch them. They really do stick to the game plan. And you know what's interesting is they have six guys averaging double figures, and then Lance at nine point two, which isn't that far off. So they're really varied here in their attack. Uh, but it seems to me that's pretty clear that the Oladipo is the head of the snake here, who gets the most opportunities, and the most uh, field goal attempts. So how is that like? Has he been able to sustain that across the entire season for in your eyes, or was this like has he just sort of been up and down and sort of overall? 
overall, he's got good numbers, but it's been a little bit inconsistent. I think he sustained it. Actually, when he was starting out pretty well early in the season, I thought, okay, it's probably going to slow down before All-Star break. You know, teams are going to figure this out. And, you know, of course, they did throw different wrinkles at him. I mean, the other night against Golden State, they held him to seven points in the first half because they focused so much on trying to keep him out of the paint. And they were successful. The problem, of course, with that is Bogdanovich was killing them with the off curls, hitting the mid-range. And then all of a sudden, Bogdanovich starts hitting threes, and it opens up the floor. And then you see Oladipo just get loose uh, because he's playing next to a really good shooter in Bogdanovich who can who can be very creative in getting his own shot. So uh, I, I think what Oladipo has been able to do, um, particularly, you know, I thought if you you know the book on him, I think is when you covered him on that high screen and roll that you drop coverage, and if he wants to take the three, you let him. And if you do that now, he's going to kill you. And here's the thing. Even if he's not shooting well from three in the game, as we've seen several times this season, late in the fourth quarter and you need a bucket, he might be 0 for 7. If you play that drop coverage, not only is he confident enough to take it, he's kind of got that Mamba mentality where he actually makes it when he, you think, well, statistically, he shouldn't take it tonight. So it's, it's, it's like he's risen to another level when it comes to confidence because he won't hesitate on taking that shot now. And I think that's what's made him so dangerous and in, in, when you switch out onto him with a big man, so you see people put size on him to try to throw him off, he gets the blow by and he can finish through contact at the rim. So he's a really difficult cover. I think you got to make him go left to his left hand, get him away from a strong hand. Maybe you have a better chance at success. A great, a, a great scouting report. I think the Pacers fans might be upset at you for telling whoever they're going to play uh, what, what's going to happen. But uh, really quickly, Miles Turner was a guy I did a video on him last year, really high on him, really excited for him to take the next step. It kind of feels like, I was going to say he took a step backwards, his numbers are down, but the per 36 are almost exactly what they were last year. So he's playing a few less minutes this year. So what, what happened? Why didn't he take the next step and become even more of a, you know, on his way to being a star in the NBA? I mean, I still think he has issues dealing with really physical players at his position in the post. He gets bodied up, knocked off balance, um, or whether or not, you know, if he's on offense, you know, guys, smaller guys can get physical with him. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of teams, if, if Turner tries to post, you're going to see them potentially try to get away with smaller guys, six foot five guys playing against them and getting physical with them and knocking them off balance. So I think that's one area he has to improve. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of miles getting post ups against much smaller guys and fading away on jump shots. Uh, so I, I think that's where he's may have taken a step back. Of course, his ability to stretch is still very valuable. Um, I think he's still good. Um, you know, in help defensively and in, in help and cover on the pick and roll. Uh, he doesn't hurt him at all. I think he's, he's been pretty solid that way. So, yeah, I just think the, the, the physical nature of the game is where he's kind of lacking more so than anywhere else. And everybody knows that's the book on him. And so they, they, people push him around. You see him get pushed around and knocked to the floor a lot by the teams. And he has to get physically stronger and, and used to playing through that. And I think that may have been his biggest issue still this season. Well, he is Jay Michael, and his Twitter handle is this is Jay Michael, the Pacers beat reporter for IndyStarSports.com. And as we finish up, we haven't even figured out the last game of the year who the heck they're going to play in the first round. So, you know, the last couple minutes here, can we get a handle on like who are the two choices they have, and who do you who would you prefer to play as a Pacers fan or you know on the Pacers end? Well, I mean, they either got Philly or Cleveland, and I think most people say despite how well Philly has played going into the postseason, you'd rather them over Cleveland just because of the LeBron factor. Uh, but on the flip side, the Pacers have beaten LeBron three out of four times this year. 
uh, and, and beating them pretty handily most of the time. So um, actually that first win I think was by 17 points earlier. She's not, now the, the, the caveat there is they haven't faced this team. I think their last meeting with him was January 26th. So they haven't played this Cleveland team as it's constructed. So do you want to go with the unknown and that you've beaten LeBron three or four times, or do you want to go with the known with Philadelphia, a team that you've played and been successful against? They're 2-1 against Philadelphia uh, in the regular season. I'd say you go with Philadelphia. Um, Beats coming back from a, that facial injury. Um, who knows? I mean, they, look, they've had a weak schedule in the regular season, so maybe that number's inflated how good they are. I think they match up better, though. Um, also, they can match up better with Philadelphia than a lot of other teams because of Miles Turner. Uh, in his ability, he's a big who can play, who's who's mobile, uh, and because you have Thaddeus Young, so that can help neutralize potentially Embiid, uh, Sarich, and Ben Simmons because you have a lot of size on that roster. I guess I agree with you. I think at all costs avoid LeBron James. It seems to me the one thing in, in the first round, uh, you know, where you don't want to deal with. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. They'll also have home court advantage. Uh, wait, will they have home court advantage? No, no, they'd be the five seed. Oh, they're the fifth seed. All right, they're locked into that, so they're not going to have home court advantage. You're right; it's going to be a problem either way. Uh, but man, that's, that's a little bit of a tough thing, uh, I guess. What, are they going to just sort of uh, you know grasp onto this improvement and this sudden surprising you know success and sort of say this is this is their successful season and what win or lose, it's it's okay in the first round because it just, they got there. Is that going to be enough for them? I don't think Nate McMillan's going to allow that. You know, Sarge is a pretty uh, pretty tough on his guys. Remember last year they got swept in the first round, so. Uh, I, I think not only, okay, they've had a better regular season. Now I think they believe they have to have a better postseason. Even though you have a lot of new pieces here as opposed to last season, Nick McMillan went through that where they probably could have stole a game or two from Cleveland and made that first-round series more competitive, and they didn't. So I know they want to have a better showing uh, in the postseason. They have a better team in which to do so. Um, so regardless of who the opponent is, I, I, I think they they feel like, in order to get that respect nationally for their 48-49 wins to mean something, having a good showing in the postseason would only bolster that. Well, as always, great analysis. Thank you so much. I think the Pacers fans are really lucky to have you on the beat now for uh, for the team. And the- it's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. It is Coach Nick, and you're listening to the B-Ball Breakdown, which is always exciting to hear it on the radio. This is SB Nation Radio coming at you live every Tuesday night. I will be here to offer analysis on the NBA Every once in a while, you little college and whatnot, but certainly the focus is going to be the NBA uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and don't forget, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern is where you'll find me. I'm also at B-Ball Breakdown on Twitter and uh, the YouTube page is B-Ball Breakdown. In fact, anywhere you want to find me, it's pretty much B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, and to, for the next segment, I'm really excited to bring on, uh, I, I guess I'd call him best friend of the breakdown. Usually when we uh, actually meet in person and, and have a drink or two and eat, eat dinner, that kind of constitutes being a best friend of the breakdown. So, without further ado, let's bring on Mo Dakil, who is a former video coordinator for the Spurs, Clippers, and Australian national team and runs the estimable Jump Ball website and podcast and YouTube page. Mo, thanks for coming on the show. 
Thank you for having me on, Coach Nick. And, and you are. I am a B-Ball Breakdown best friend. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Definitely good with that distinction. Yes, right. Well, you know, we have friend of the program, other places. Well, you're the, friend of the best friend of the breakdown. So right. uh, excited to have you on. And um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the playoff picture because last week we were pretty confident that it would have been sorted out by now. And guess what? It's not. It's an insane situation we have. So what's happening? This is now going to happen tomorrow night. What do we have tomorrow night that's going to get a lot of NBA fans tuned in? So tomorrow night we're actually going to have – the NBA is going to have a play-in game. It's a, it's a one-game playoff between the Denver Nuggets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're both fighting for the eighth seed in the Western Conference. And whoever wins makes the playoffs. An interesting side note, though, because of tiebreakers and everything in the schedule – if the Nuggets win, they actually won't be the eight seed. I think they can be seven, uh, seven or maybe even six. <laughs> okay, wow! Because tiebreakers and how things kind of shake out and and all of that fun stuff. And you know, it's really it's it's really nice of the NBA to schedule these two teams the last day of the season for the play-in game, isn't it? Planned it all ahead. You could see it in their heads. They had it all set up in their crystal ball and knew this was going to come down to this. <laughs> this yeah, this, this is the perfect scenario for the NBA. This is a video coordinator's nightmare for the amount of prep we have to do. You know, um, it's, it's fine when you got to prepare for one or two teams, maybe even three teams. But if you're a team like Houston or Golden State, I mean, you, you have a combination of like four or five different teams you could possibly be playing. And I'm just glad I'm not working in one for one of the teams <laughs> to do it. Now, is it, is it safe to say that like both these teams, video coordinators, are already assuming they've won and already assuming they're going to be in that first round and they're preparing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was in the in the league, I started preparing. I would start as early as mid March, trying to figure out who it is, what are our possibilities, and just slowly start gathering film in my free time because you don't want to be the, you don't want to be up all night Wednesday night after the games. To, to prepare for everything you know with the clippers you know coach doc's a big believer in these massive binders with all this tons of information which was amazing but wanted it ready for every player wanted it ready for all the coaches and and, and all that stuff so we had these massive binders put together and you know you, it, you go to great lengths to to get these things put together it's you know a couple hundred you know it's probably about a hundred something pages sets personnel things like that so just having that alone ready is one thing and then having video ready for you're going to have a meeting you know thursday for sure um friday at the absolute you know you're gonna practice on friday but you're gonna have film sessions during those days and things like that so it's just there's a ton of stuff you got to take care of it's interesting because we had jeff Diepenbrock on the show last week to talk about what it's like to prepare as a video coordinator in the for the ncaa tournament and he you know described it somewhat crazy and intense but it doesn't sound anywhere near what we're talking about here uh, especially though when you simply just don't know who, who you're going to play uh because you're right from from the nuggets to the wolves let's say this, let's say they get the eighth spot um you know then you actually i guess you know you're playing the rockets but yeah the idea that you would have to prepare for like the warriors or the blazers or the jazz like that just seems insane i don't think anyone's going to get a 100 page binder in time would they be able to do that uh, it depends how much you know how much work they're putting into it. I mean, I, you know, as a video guy, like I had a, a couple of interns, so it would just break it up of this mm -hmm. is your team, this is your team, and this is your team, and then I'll chip in where I can and help and and take care of all that stuff. And and it's just a matter of delegating. So I, I wouldn't put it past anybody to have a bunch of binders ready for any possible scenario. Um, you know, uh, 
when I was, again, with the Clippers, when we were playing Memphis in Game 7, we traveled with our San Antonio binders, and we're passing that out on the on the plane on our on our way to San Antonio after we won Game Seven. So, you just you kind of got to have all this stuff ready. It, you got to be prepared to do a lot of work that may not get used. Right now, that's the other question: is you do all that work, you hand it out to every player. You know, are they are they actually flipping through it or not? You know what? It's it, every player is different. You know, and everybody kind of encodes knowledge in a different way. Some guys are visual. Some guys want to read it. You do have some guys who who probably never touch it. And you have other guys who have devoured the whole thing. It's it's everybody's different, and there's no there's no right or wrong way, you know. Of this is how you do things. You know, I might be more of a visual learner. Somebody might be more of a a, a, a reader and, and need to see that stuff and, and and whatnot. Some guys just want to go out there and play. Uh, and you you know, everybody's got a different deal and a, a, a different way to get ready for games. Sure, and, and I guess that the point on your end is simply that you must do it. You must prepare this thing, and then they will process it the way they do or where they can, uh, right? I mean, uh, or is it a situation where you might do something a lot different for one particular player uh, with this, the same information but it's been presented a different way? Do you, do you have to customize it per player? I, I've never had to. It's, it would be difficult just with the time, the, the shortened time period. of, of And now listen, if I knew I was playing this team and I had this a week in advance – then that's a different story. Then I can customize for everybody and whatnot. But, you know, your playoff schedule is going to come out late Wednesday night, maybe Thursday morning, you know, whenever that's going to get released. And you're either playing Saturday or Sunday. So you don't really have a lot of time to, to customize everything um, and, and, and kind of get, get that stuff ready for certain guys. But you also know, you know, like I knew what CP wanted to watch. You know, CP liked watching games. So I would just load an iPad ready with games for him to watch. Um, and that's something that's easy that I could take care of, you know, customizing to a certain degree. Some of it's easy. Some of it's like, you know, if you really want in-depth stuff, I need more time. For sure. For sure. Well, you know, getting back to the actual playoff race, what's frustrating for everybody here is that, um, even though it's exciting, is we just simply don't have any idea who's playing who in the West, right? There really is. Oh, well, here's what we do know. We know the Rockets are first. Right. We know that the Warriors are second. Uh, yes. But it turns out the Blazers might not finish third. Is that I think that's the the, the word in the street? Yeah, I mean you know the the Jazz have been great. You know winners of five straight, and uh, if they beat Golden State tonight, and I'm looking at the schedule again, and they play Portland tomorrow, so that's even another showdown. Uh-huh. You know after the after we get the Denver Minnesota fiasco, then we're gonna have Utah Portland, and that's probably gonna break down for the uh, third seed, assuming the uh, if Utah wins tonight. Yeah, so because right now the Jazz are a half game behind, so they win tonight, they, they tie the Blazers, and then it's a play-in game, whatever, for that seed. Uh, that's crazy. Um, now, the other, other, and the other teams could, could drop out. The, Pel- the Pelicans could drop out. Well, here's what I understand. No, I mean, that's wrong. The Thunder are in, and the Spurs are in, and the Pelicans are all in. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The only, only Minnesota is, is at eight now can, can possibly drop out. You know, but but again, seeding all plays a different role. New Orleans and San Antonio play tomorrow, so again, they're tied. So wherever whoever wins, that's going to be the fifth seed. And uh, if I if I understand it correctly, the loser does not have the tiebreaker against Denver. I think Denver owns the tiebreaker over Oklahoma City and and San Antonio and New Orleans. If I have it correct, I'm sure we'll get somebody <laughs> will correct us. Somebody will well actually us, but somewhere along those lines. You know, Denver could jump up and go from nine to seven or six. 
Insane. Okay. Uh, and, and so we had one of those years where I remember when the Suns didn't make it with 48 wins. Um, and, and we're sort of in that same realm where whoever doesn't get into it, they have the 47 wins probably or 46-47. But, again, we've, I don't think we've ever had everybody else have exactly 47-48 wins either from, from the third seat on down. Um, what, what are the matchups you'd like to see? What, what, what would be the most compelling and interesting stuff for that first round? So I, I, I found out this morning it's not actually possible um, through tiebreakers and all that stuff. But I was really hoping for the Oklahoma City-Golden State 2-7 to seven matchup, which okay. doesn't sound possible because Oklahoma City is probably not going to lose to Memphis on the last game of the year. Okay. Um, now, would Oklahoma City want to lose that? To No. Well, if they, if they lost that, would that, would that still – you know, I think that's murky, right? We don't know if they'll stay seventh. I, I I think they dropped to eight. <laughs> yeah, and they don't want to play the Rockets without for that question. Yeah, so I think it's just a uh, all again. All these things are up in the air, so it's an interesting thing. The, the 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 matchup I think is going to be interesting is whoever gets New Orleans. I think we're I think Anthony Davis has been playing at an unbelievable level. I think he's MVP level. He's not going to be the MVP. Don't want anybody coming at me for this, but he's going to be in the top three. You know voting maybe top four wherever he ends up but he's been playing phenomenal since boogie's been out the team has done well since boogie's been out i i think they're going to give teams a lot of trouble and listen they give golden state trouble you know they don't have anybody that can guard davis it's just not something they have you know um i think portland they 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 can definitely be portland in a series um so new orleans is the team i'm kind of interested to see who who they match up with you know I, i don't have as much faith in them as you do (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, by the way, nothing would warm my heart more than to see Anthony Davis really just destroy it in the playoffs and finally, like, put a lot of demons to rest. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like, Drew Holiday, I don't know if he's the guy you're going to want in the playoffs. And Rondo, um, you know, they, they don't have a lot of other firepower. They don't. But Davis is just so good, and they've done a good job, though. Rondo does a good job of distributing the ball and distributing the wealth and, and moving things around. And, and, you know, They've done a decent job shooting the ball this year with with their guys. I mean, you know, it's the same. You can say the same thing to me about Portland. After Lillard and and uh, McCollum, they don't have much firepower on the outside. I'm not a believer that Aminu, who's a career 33 percent three point shooter, is going to you know he's having a great year hitting 40 percent shots. But at some point, does this come down or whatnot? Like these are the things I'm curious about, and that's kind of the thing that scares me a little bit about Portland. And I have a good friend who's going to be upset with me for saying that, but. That's, you know, that's, you know, I'm like, I'm watching where I go, like, I could see the, if you match, if you do the right scheme, you can put those guys in trouble. Like, I'll live with Aminu, Harkless, who, who's out with a knee injury right now, but Turner and those guys got to knock down shots for me to really, you know, then I'll be worried. But at this point, I'm just going to focus my attention on Dame and CJ. Yeah. And I'll let Nurkic go off, but, you know, you need those outside guys. They got to hit shots, and I'm not sure they can do that four out of seven times. Well, you know, I, there's no greater fan of uh, of, the, of CJ McCollum than uh, me over here at B-Ball Breakdown. Right. Uh, and, 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 by the way, another good friend of the breakdown, or well, I don't know if we can call him best friend yet. But uh, but there's no question that Portland has two players that are on my all-time most frustrating, or uh, I guess that's the word, most, most frustrating offensive player to watch, and two of them. So Aminu is one of them. And because he just never – he's just never developed any other skills. He You know, once he dribbles the ball more than once, it's a nightmare for him. And then Evan Turner is the other guy who's just sort of like, you know, remember that movie about the uh, the, the cartoon movie where the the, guy, the main character's name is O? 
I remember that, that whatever that thing and, and the reason why his name is oh is because whenever he walks in the room everyone's like oh well that's <laughs> how I feel whenever I watch him have the ball it just drives me nuts so uh, you're right we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, with, with all of this and how it shakes out it's insane and I think that we're all a lot smarter now even just from a little bit of this brief insight into what's happening here we'll be able to get a handle on when it does shake out what's happening so uh, Mo I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and bringing it down for us oh no thank you for having me coach Nick a, a big fan like I said Best friend, of, best friend of the breakdown. That's right. And we'll have to get together again soon in IRL. And don't forget, you can uh, follow Mo on uh, Twitter at Mo Dakhil, which is D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA, and also at his website, The Jump Ball, and the podcast and the YouTube page. So don't go anywhere. we got one more segment. This is Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown on SB Nation Radio. No flipping. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. So there you have it, sports fans. That was our show. Really terrific stuff. I can't thank the guests enough for coming on and really breaking it down. I wish I could give you more definitive answers on the playoffs. But at least Mo Dockhill gave us some information and some insight into what's going to happen with that eighth spot and who uh, the Pelicans would want to play and who they don't want to play. And we'll have to wait and see. By next week, we're going to be knee-deep in the playoffs. So that'll be really exciting to bring on some other guests to talk about that. Uh, but don't miss tomorrow night's showdown to decide the eighth spot between the Timberwolves and the Nuggets. Uh, we also had a fantastic discussion about the refereeing and the players. And without question, Ronnie Nunn had some really great insights as well about what we can do to improve that. And uh, quite honestly, the, the solution is going to be uh, the referees need to do better, right? The, 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 the players will be less upset uh, if they feel like the calls are being made right, I think. But that said, there could be some sort of a cultural shift that we've had over the years that uh, the players will never be satisfied. The coaches will never be satisfied. And at that point, maybe the coaches need to get into tune with uh, not complaining so much and accepting what's happening. Uh, it's an interesting conundrum that I'm sure we've been building towards for decades and decades of this game. And hopefully we can get somewhere where we're not having so many ejections with uh, star players or anybody, really, because no one wants to pay to see ejections without question. So... We have a lot more stuff coming up next week. I'm really excited. And don't forget, we also had Jay Michael on the show. He had the Pacers uh, beat breakdown for us and what's going to happen there. And it would be a great story. If they could somehow upset in the first round and, and either beat Cleveland or beat uh, Philly, that would be just an amazing, amazing story. But at the very least, they're in good shape because it's going to be a really valuable experience for them in the playoffs uh, no matter what happens. And they can build upon that going into next year and continue their improvement and may perhaps pick up another player uh, and get a little bit more out of Miles Turner uh, going forward, and then they can be a really formidable foe to anybody in the East as they develop. So we'll see how that plays out. So uh, I can't wait for that to happen. I can't wait for the, the season to end, honestly. It's been, uh, it's been a really kind of whirlwind year. It's kind of hard to believe we're already here on the precipice of the playoffs, but uh, stay with us here because we're going to have a lot of great content coming up for you, a lot of great guests to break down what's happening in real time with the playoffs, so don't miss it. I'm Coach Nick. I'm here every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So don't miss it, and don't miss B-Ball Breakdown over on YouTube either. Because as we say, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win.